Welcome to True Print for Life. I'm your host, Christina Vera. And I'm your co-host, Mylene Samboys. Today, we are really excited to have Kwame Christian with us. Uh, Kwame is a big deal, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we, Mylene actually has known Kwame a lot longer than I have. How long, how long have you known Kwame? God, since 2014 or a little bit earlier, about that time. 2014. So I have met Kwame probably like five, six years ago. Like we were working on some business related stuff and I got the opportunity to meet Kwame then. Um, But you all will get an opportunity to get to know Kwame a little bit better. And so will I, because I'm also learning a lot more about him. Just so you know, uh, Kwame is a best-selling author, business lawyer, and CEO of the American Negotiation Institute. Uh, Following his viral success of his TEDx Dayton talk, Kwame released his bestseller, Finding Confidence in Conflict, How to Negotiate Anything and Live Your Best Life in 2018. He's a regular contributor for Forbes and the host of the number one negotiation podcast in the world, Negotiate Anything, which currently has over 5 million downloads worldwide. Under Kwame's leadership, A&I has coached and trained several Fortune 500 companies on applying the fundamentals of negotiation to corporate success. Kwame was the recipient of the John Glenn College of Public Affairs Young Alumni Achievement Award in 2020 and the Mortz College of Law Outstanding Recent Alumnus Award 2021. Kwame, you just have way too much here. So much. I mean, I mean, we're just so blessed to be in your presence Thank right you. now. Um, not only that, Kwame is like the proudest achievement is his family. He's married to Dr. Whitney Christian, and they have two lovely sons, Kai and Dominic. So Kwame, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's good to see you all in person. I know. It's been years. so good. (laughs) Yes. It's going to be like a nice recap of where we left off, I think, for the audience. And I mean, they're going to get to meet you now. But for us, it's a little recap of like where you have been in your journey. I know we were just talking before the interview started that we met you when you were making some very big decisions, right? The time that our path crossed, you were a very brilliant lawyer. And you were making some thought decisions about a move when we met, starting your own business, doing things like that. So kind of guide us through a little bit of what got you to that point, right? What got you to law and then what got you to kind of want to move from that? Yeah, it's a very interesting journey. And I think when you look back on it, it's like, oh, Kwame had some kind of master plan. But (laughs) a lot of it, you know, just kind of fell into place. So I think we have to go way back. Think about Kwame in undergrad first. Mm -hmm. So in undergrad, I was studying psychology. I love psychology. So my goal was to help as many people as I could. Um, But I realized that if I stayed with psychology, it would just be one-on-one through therapy, helping people in in that sense. So I wanted to have a bigger impact. Mm -hmm. So I said, oh, if I get into politics, I can have an even bigger impact. So I went, I said, what's the, what's the best pathway for this? So like I changed everything. So I graduated with a psychology degree and a minor in Spanish and foundations of law. And then I went to law school and got a master of public policy at the same time. And one of the greatest takeaways that I learned from getting those two degrees at the same time was that I do not want to do politics. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, no. (laughs) Great lesson. Yes. And so one of the things I struggled with my whole life was being a people pleaser, like having difficult conversations. And so when I was in law school, I stumbled into 
into a negotiation class. Like I didn't even mean to take the class. It just fit in my schedule. And I liked the amount of credits I needed. It had. So I was like, let's do this. And I fell in love because it was the first time I realized two things. I saw psychology in the law. So that felt familiar. Mm. But then it was the first time I actually realized that advocating for yourself, having difficult conversations, all of that, it's a skill, not a talent. I can learn this. Mm -hmm. So we had um, these negotiation competitions. And so I was hooked on negotiation. I was like, let's do this. And we had, um, we had a competition at the school and my partner and I, we won that competition. And then that got us to qualify for the regional competition for the American Bar Association in Ottawa, Ontario. And we won that competition too. And then we made it to the semis of the national competition in New Orleans. And so for me, I said, somehow, some way, I'm gonna make negotiation a fundamental part of what I do, but not just me negotiating, but me teaching other people because mm -hmm. I wanted other people to have that same realization that I did. Mm -hmm. And so my whole career was trying to figure out how to get there. And you can see that in the, the motto for the American Negotiation Institute. We believe the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. So for me, I wanted to find a pathway to help as many people as I could overcome their fears and have those tough conversations. Wow. Is there, what, what would you say, Kwame, was there like a definitive moment? Because um, you talked earlier, like you knew you wanted to help people. You wanted to be able to serve in some capacity. Because even like psychology, politics, that's very people-centered and driven, um, even law. And so like, I guess I'm trying to understand, like, was there a definitive moment that you felt like you wanted to be in a place of serving other people? Like even negotiations, as you mentioned, like just the power that people don't realize that they can unlock once they realize it's a skill that can be learned. But where do you feel that you're wanting to kind of step into that role really stems from? I think it's always been in me. It's just been about finding the right outlet. Like, where is my space in it? Mm -hmm. So both of my parents are in uh, helping professions. So my dad is a surgeon. And okay. then my mom, she has a PhD in nutrition. So she's a nutritionist. So helping people um, get healthier too, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I thought I was going to do it through psychology. And really, I am. Mm -hmm. You <laughs> so, are, yeah. Just not as a psychologist. Right. You know, so I, I always knew that helping people, like the, that interpersonal connection element was going to be a major part of what I did. I just didn't know exactly what it looked like, you know, because if the thing about law that was that was beneficial for like my other friends is they could say, I want to do corporate law. Great. So I'm going to go to law school. I'm going to pass the bar and then I'm going to work at a firm. And then there's a practice area called corporate law. Right. And I'll do that. Yeah. And so for me, I was the person who was getting sworn in after passing the bar exam, asking himself what, what he's going to be when he grows up. Mm -hmm. I had no clue like how I was going to find this. Mm -hmm. And so there wasn't anything in my immediate vicinity that really checked that box. Okay. So coming out, I did um, some civil rights work. So I was at the Kerwin Institute. And so I was doing um, health policy, health equity type of work. So working with people, addressing health inequities mm -hmm. for the uh, for like public health institutes. And what I realized is with them, one of the biggest challenges they had was not the data. They already knew the data about the inequities and things like that. Their challenge was persuading politicians and mm -hmm. community leaders and those types of things. So I was able to introduce a little bit of those negotiation skills to them. Mm -hmm. But for me, then I got burnt out, like emotionally, just mm -hmm. completely burnt out, just being faced with like some of the darkest areas of American society, like day after day. Yeah. And realizing that I was not defeating racism, <laughs> was right. just emotionally exhausted. So me, I was like, you know what? I know I, I'm not sure where I'm going to go. I'm not sure what I want to do. Mm -hmm. But I think what I'll do is I'll start my own law firm. 
I'll do that so I can get out of this industry. Mm-hmm. And um, if I do, if I practice law for like, let's say 10, 15 years, then I would have the credibility to start my own negotiation consulting firm. Cause that's when I started to see like Harvard program on negotiation and some, some other like negotiation experts. I was like, oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm too young right now to, to, to pull the trigger on that. So I, let, me, let, me, let me log like a decade of experience first before shooting that shot. But um, I but got you did impatience. it earlier. Yeah, like it wasn't ten years, Grammy. I'm like, wait a minute, Mm-mm. I'm counting the years. So these are things you were telling yourself that, that you felt like you needed yeah. to do first. Those are called self-limiting beliefs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. And so, but then I started to challenge them. I was like, well, you know, no, I can, I can do this now. Mm-hmm. And so in 2016, I said, I'm not exactly sure what the path is, but figuring out a way to let the world know that I am credible in this was going to be big because I've been studying and applying it in other ways. And that's when I started the podcast. So I started the American Negotiation Institute. I said, well, you know, I'm I'm a lawyer. Let me get the IP. Let me at least lock down this trademark (laughs) and get the, I know what I want to call it down the road. Um, and uh, I'll start the podcast and I'll just start being super generous, giving out as like the best information I know for free. Mm-hmm. And so that's what, how it started. And then people started reaching out after that. I was like, oh my gosh, it's working. Yeah. <laughs> we're 10 years ahead of schedule. Right. And you were flying like all over, like you were doing speaking engagements and so many, cause I remember like around the last time I probably saw you, like you were getting ready to go somewhere. Like, I don't know if it was Miami, you were going to speak at some big thing and I remember you saying like I just don't even know how all this like I mean you knew how it happened but it was just really taking off and you were at a point of like realizing like I'm gonna have to phase out of what I thought was gonna be my long-term plan as as having the firm and being a lawyer and so can you talk to us a little bit about that like realization like no I'm gonna do this and I'm, I'm like actually going to fully transition out of law put all my energy and, and intention into what I'm really passionate about. Like, what was that like for you? It was tough because there was a, the, there's a strategic element and an emotional element. Mm-hmm. So the strategic element was realizing that I was muddying the waters with my brand. So is Kwame a lawyer? Do I go to him for small business work where he's jurisdictionally browned, where I can only practice in Ohio, right? Is that what I go for Kwame, go to Kwame for? Or do I go to Kwame for negotiation? And what is negotiation as it relates to me? That's not really clear. Do I need to be a massive company? Is he a negotiation coach? Like it was, I was going in so many different directions that nobody knew. And so I remember one time somebody reached out to me uh, who was a listener. He's like, oh, I've been, I've been a listener for like a year or so, but I have a really weird question. What is it that you do? Oh God. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, are you like a coach? Are you like a consultant? Do you do trainings? Or is it just a podcast? What do you do? Mm-hmm. And then when I realized, I was like, this is my fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is my fault for not mastering my message. And so it was around that time that I said, there are a couple of things that I need to do. Number one, I need to pick. I'm either doing law mm-hmm. and then I can say that message or I'm doing ANI, American Negotiation Institute. So I picked American Negotiation Institute. Number two, I realized that what I was calling humility was really insecurity. So I wasn't telling people how I can help. I wasn't saying I do trainings. I do this and everything because I was saying, I don't want people to think I'm greedy. I don't want to seem like a self-promotional jerk. You mm-hmm. know, I don't want to come off as salesy. But what I was doing is I was putting my emotional insecurities above helping other people mm-hmm. because there are other people out there who need my help, but they 
can't get my help if they don't know how I can help. Mm -hmm. And so for a lot of people, when they're looking at me on social media and like they're seeing the growth, they're like, yeah, it just seems like it came out of nowhere. I was like, (laughs) yeah, I overcame my emotional (laughs) challenges and I turned it on like, like three or four years ago. And so um, that's, that's the shift, the strategic and like personal growth and emotional growth shift that led to, to where we are today. That's amazing. And I, and I think you face out of law, but you automated some things on your website, right? Yes. Like if you go to your website, depending on where you go, you're able to still do some law things that are just automated or did you subcontract to some lawyers? Ah, good question. So I'm, I'm now with, the, with Carlisle, Patchen and Murphy as of counsel. And so this is the way that relationship works. Um, I do legal work for them if, and my thing is, if it has a very clear negotiation issue. Mm -hmm. So I'm not billing a certain amount of hours. This year, for example, has been very busy, you know, so I've billed like one or two hours Mm -hmm. (laughs) this whole year and it's October at this point. And so my thing is, if it is a really interesting conflict where I think it would be good to keep my skills sharp and also a good story that I can obviously anonymize and be confidential with and use it as a case study in my trainings, then I'll I'll do that. But otherwise, I I don't want to lose focus here. But if people still people still reach out to me and they say, hey, Kwame, can you help me with this? I say, no, I can't. But my mm-hmm. friends at the law firm can. And so it provides like a, another source of revenue and another place for my clients to get service to. And that takes discipline, right? Because I think when you are so talented and you can do so many things, is that like a some type of um, like hard thing for you to be like, oh, but I could do this in two seconds or like, no, Kwame, send it to your referral people. 100%. Yeah. And that's that's why I need a coach. <laughs> and so I have a business coach. And um, one, one of my podcast guests said this quote, I, I love it. She said, you can't look at yourself through your own binoculars. Mm-hmm. So you can look at other people and see like their flaws, their challenges right. and everything. And then it's like, hey, buddy, you see, you see yourself recently? <laughs> What's up with you? Right. Yeah. And, but you can't see it as clearly. So I always have so I always have a coach I have a mastermind group that helps me to stay focused and um, one of my things is I have a lot of like frenetic energy a lot of times and so I have a lot of ideas and so you're visionary yeah exactly okay. oh, hi, exactly my people, I love you guys. <laughs> yes <laughs> and it's good and bad because you can paint a big vision and then you wake up the next morning and you're like I have another vision yeah right and so the one of the benefits of having like the coach and the mastermind group and also people on my team who understand who I, how I operate it keeps me focused because you're right like there are a lot of other things that I want to do but I know that Anything that takes my focus off of this is pulling me in ultimately in the wrong direction. Right. No, that makes sense. And I think it's, um, as you mentioned, I think you said, like, it's almost like just a, that discipline. And I think one of the things that I love about even just your, your was the book you had in 2018, was that your first book? Yeah, that was the first Because I know one. you got a new one. We're going to talk about that just in a moment. But your, you know, finding confidence in conflict, how to negotiate anything and live your best life in 2018. Tell us a little bit about like what was that like for you writing this book and and really what would you say was your biggest or what you would want your biggest takeaway for your readers in in that space in that book. So writing a book is very hard. Mm-hmm. It's it's really hard. And um I think one of my <laughs> one of my biggest strengths and at the same time weaknesses is the fact that I regularly underestimate how challenging things are going to be, which leads me to commit and then be shocked. <laughs> but, like, but, wait, this is hard. Exactly, exactly. You know, so 
I I was like, yeah, I'm going to write this book. Okay. So I self-published it and I was too small at the time. Nobody cared. <laughs> Nobody wanted to, to publish me. Right. So I was like, oh, I'll do it myself. That's my own. That's my thing. Like a lot of times when people are saying, oh, I want to do X, Y, Z, but this person, this institution, they're not supporting me. They're not giving me what I want or whatever it is. I'm like, cool. Yeah, I'll build it. I'll just build it myself. Right. Mm -hmm. So for me, I was like, okay, I'll just self-publish this first book. And so it was very challenging because I, I had all, this is my process in general, and you'll see how it evolved for the second book. So for the first book, I just spent months, like, uh, like actually, let's edit this because it took a little bit longer. So this is how it came about. I, had the, I have this methodology for building thought leadership because I realized if I want to be successful in negotiation, I need to be a thought leader. So I, came, I analyzed the people that I, I respected in the industry and just in thought leadership in general, and I was like, what do, are the things that all of them have in common? Like mm -hmm. Brene Brown, Adam Grant, like those, like those right. big name people. Okay, so one thing is they have a method of distribution that they can control pretty consistently. And then the other thing is they have a speech that's public, publicized that you can see publicly and see like, oh, they're a great speaker. And number three, they have a book. And so what you'll see is each year I'm checking off those boxes. So year one, 2016, when I started A&I, that's the podcast, method of distribution I'm completely in control of. So I'm going to build that audience. And so number two, I said, all right, I'm going to have a big publicized speech. That's a TED Talk. And so I got the TED Talk. I applied and made sure that I got that. And so with the TED Talk, finding confidence in conflict is the, it's, the challenge with the TED Talk is that it's really focused. So they say it's an idea worth spreading, one. So yeah. what is your one big idea? And so mine was conflict is an opportunity. And that's where I first introduced the compassionate curiosity framework, which is my, my unique contribution to the industry for how you can resolve conflict. And in that process, I came up with just a brain dump of notes, like 22 pages of notes. And so I had to whittle that down to like four tight pages for wow. like for my script yeah. for the TED talk. And so those 22 pages, that was the base for finding confidence in conflict, the book. Okay. And so I built off those 22 pages. So for the next, from that was, I did the TED talk in like October of 2017. And so for the next like six months, eight months, I was just building onto that script. Mm -hmm. But now here's the problem with writing a book. And so I had a coach helping me through this too. Again, need a coach, right? A book coach, an author coach. And one of the things he says is that your book is never done. And so we can all think about people who have like begun writing a book, but have never completing the book. Because you as a person, you're constantly growing, you're constantly learning, you're constantly changing. So your book is too. Mm -hmm. And so you have to have a clear deadline. And so I kept on pushing it off, adding more and adding more and adding more. And so I had a conversation with the OSU Alumni Association in September, early September of 2017. And they said, oh, we want to fe feature you as the Buckeye Spotlight. This will go out to 600,000 um, members of the Buckeye alumni community. And I said, okay, when is that going to happen? And it, she said, it'll happen on November 3rd. And I said, my book will be book. done by then. Yeah. And so I left the meeting. I'm like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. What am I going to do? <laughs> I got to finish this book ASAP. Wow. And so I was like, well, I'm finishing this book. Right. I got it done. 
you know? And so that's how the first book came around. But what you'll see from the, uh, the TED talk, compassionate curiosity was a theory. It wasn't like a framework. Mm -hmm. And so it was like an idea that I described, but I didn't have like a step-by-step -step approach. Mm -hmm. And then in creating the second book, um, the, I came up with a three-step approach. So it became a lot more practical. So okay. acknowledge and validate emotions, get curious with compassion, joint problem solving. So I wanted to find something that was very simple and easy for anybody to understand. And you could apply in any difficult conversation, whether you're, you're at work or at home. So with Kai, when I'm trying to get him to go to bed, I'm not just like saying, boy, get in bed and throwing him in bed, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to use this framework and get and negotiate with him to get in bed. But I use that same framework with opposing counsel in a difficult negotiation too. I wanted it to be that, that you know, generally applicable. Mm -hmm. But then again, with the development, I made it also a tool of introspection. So I developed a way that you could use the same framework, same steps as a tool to manage your own emotions and dig deeper to understand yourself at a deeper level. So you're going to acknowledge and validate your own emotions. What are you feeling? And then have that internal dialogue. Well, why am I feeling that way? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the next step is, uh, the last step is uh, joint problem solving. So you're reconciling the differences between your heart and mind. So what is it that satisfies you emotionally? But then what is it that actually solves the problem? You do that before the conversation. Now you're a lot clearer for the actual conversation. Then you just wash, rinse, repeat. Same, same framework, but with other people. You know, so that for me, that was the three those were the three steps for establishing thought leadership, the podcast, the TED talk, and then the book. That's amazing. Walk me through putting your son to bed. Like, um, how yes. does that negotiation go for the parents listening? Yeah, absolutely. So here's an example. So they never want to go to bed. I'm like, listen, man, sleep is awesome. Why, why are we not doing this? Because you guys um, are so cool. That's yeah. why. I'm like, dude, you, we can switch. Right? You stay up and do some work. <laughs> right? But anyways, that's not persuasive. So here's what I'll do. So he'll, you know, he pops out of bed. And so instead of like yelling, Kai, get into bed. I'm like, hey, Kai, what, I noticed you're out of bed. What's going on? He's like... I want to stay out of I want to I want to stay up. Okay, tell me more about that. Yeah, it's not fair that you and mommy get to stay up, but then I have to go to bed. And so acknowledge and validate emotions. Okay, so it sounds like you want to stay up and still have a little bit of fun. Is that right? Yeah. And you don't feel like it's fair because we get to and you don't. Okay, that makes sense. So when you think about sleep, why why do we want you to go to sleep? What do you think? Well, because it makes you healthy. I was like, okay, why else? What are some other reasons you want to go to sleep? Well, because I want to grow up and be big and strong like you. Okay. So now transitioning to joint problem solving. So what do you think you should do right now? I should, I should go to bed. And then he <laughs> makes the decision yeah. to go to bed, right? Then if I'm negotiating with opposing counsel and they're heated, they're upset, whatever it happens to be, I'm like, okay, listen, I can tell that, that this is really having an impact on you, on your client. Can you tell me more about that? And then they go on, they explain themselves. Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like the reason that your client is so upset is because they feel as though my client took advantage of them in this situation. Is that fair? Okay, what else? Well, we don't feel comfortable moving forward. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you don't really trust us right now. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And I don't trust you and your client because of X, Y, Z. All right. Now, I appreciate you telling me that. That's really hard to say. Now, we want to try to find a way to work this out. What do you think we could do to help inspire that type of trust? Okay, well, maybe we could do blah, blah, blah. And so we just use the exact same framework, just in different contexts. Oh, so it's like, re like affirming, listening, affirming, and, and 
moving the conversation along. Exactly. I naturally do this in my household a lot, and I never realized there was a framework behind this it. So now I'm going to go read the framework because I'm like, hmm. So because I think it's, I think it's one of those things. And what I love is that you're able to provide examples not only like personally but professionally because oftentimes that's the biggest issue I have found in business or even in, in my role um, in the politics world. It's like people don't listen to each other. It's all usually based off of either assumption or it's very ego driven or it's like I'm just ready to say something before you finish saying something and there is a lot of discourse that tends to happen or continue to happen because we are not giving people the opportunity to really express themselves to really acknowledge how they feel and then allow them to help you come up with the solution why kill ourselves to figure out 20 options when if I just gave you an opportunity you're going to tell me what you want and if it makes sense then we can make it happen and move on Exactly. And and this is the thing, because I'm like, a lot of times I want to keep it as simple as possible so people can listen and hear something and immediately put it into action. Because a lot of times these things are way too theoretical or overcomplicated. And a lot of times that's like a thought leader wanting to seem smart. So they make it difficult to access to make themselves seem really, yeah. <laughs> really cool. Right. Ego. Exactly. Yeah. And the ego is what comes up in when it comes to applying it too, because it's not that what I'm saying is hard to understand. It's hard to apply because you won't want to do it in the moment. Right. Right. It's like, no, I want to let them know. No, I want. I kind of want to hurt their feelings. <laughs> right it's now. true, guys. It's true. <laughs> right? But it takes a lot of discipline. And that's why, another reason why I like thinking really expansively about it. So the definition I have for a negotiation is anytime you're in a conversation and somebody in the conversation wants something. So when you realize that like that's the definition you use, you're negotiating all the time. Every day. Right? And so if we, one of the biggest barriers that people have in negotiating is that they don't realize that they are negotiating. We just think it's an annoying conversation with an annoying person. And so then, then we just attack each other mm -hmm. and wonder why things didn't go right. very well. But if we say, oh, this is a negotiation, this is an opportunity to use the compassionate curiosity framework, then you know what to say and when to say it. Right. Because the framework is flexible. Because sometimes there might be not be an emotional issue. Cool, let's just go start with number two, getting curious with compassion. Great, I got the information. I'm going to sequence to number three, uh, joint problem solving. Oh, now we're enjoying problem solving. Now they got a little bit of an attitude. I know exactly what to do. I'm going to go back to acknowledge and validate emotions. So it helps you to know what to say at every moment. And it really simplifies the process. I'm going to have to apply that. I feel like I fail in the last 24 hours um, with that process. <laughs> I can go back to three things I did. No problem. Well, you know, we're all growing, right? Exactly. So I think that's the beauty of it, to know that you're all growing and that you can get the book, so you can listen to his podcast and his information because it's amazing. But we, you were talking about something earlier that you said you were getting burned out. When I go back to like where you were working before. Because you couldn't end racism, right? Like, you just can't do it. But then this book, the title itself, right, talks about... Can I see this real quick, Christina? Mm -hmm. So when I read this, and I have the book, I'm so excited. Um, I pre-ordered it, by the way. Um, How to have difficult conversations about race. So I'm kind of going from, like, that comment you made a couple minutes ago to this. Mm -hmm. Guide me through how this came about. And is that a response to you're burned out? Yes, ish. So this is how it happened. Um, the uh, So 2020 happened. So you remember it was COVID and then we had the murder of George, George Floyd and we had all of that social unrest. So we have to, so I have to like really paint the picture of why I got to this point with like burnout and what it led to. So when I stopped with Kerwin and doing the social justice, civil rights type of work, like I was 
100% done. So let me give you an example. So I stopped watching news of any kind. So no politics, no nothing. And if anybody would post anything on social media about the uh, like news and politics or race, racism or injustice, I would immediately block them, like unfollow them, right? And this includes Whitney. Like your wife, <laughs> my wife, okay. Whitney. Yes. And so I'm like, Whitney would ask me, Hey, did you check out that new story I posted? I was like, nah, a little bit too woke for me with, I'm not following you either. And so <laughs> he's still married guys. It's all good. <laughs> We're good. We made it work. Compassionate curiosity. Right. And so we, but then in 2020, it was becoming like hard to avoid. Mm -hmm. And so Whitney had that difficult conversation with me. I have to tell her to stop listening to the podcast because she's very persuasive. <laughs> she's like, well, Kwame, you're always telling everybody all over the world that you have to have these difficult conversations. How does it look for you as a black male and a negotiation expert who did civil rights work before? How does it look if you are avoiding that conversation? Mm. You're being hypocritical. Oh, you're so good. Uh, yes. And so I was like, all right, you know what? Fine. I'll check my box. I'll do my good deed. And so I said, I'll, I'll put on a little webinar, how to have difficult conversations about race. I called it that because I'm not creative. And so <laughs> I like I was setting it up for failure because I just wanted to check my box, say I did my good deed and go back to using the ostrich technique of avoiding all problems. It's an easy name too. Yeah, like, it's easy to understand. Like, what am I coming for this for? Exactly. For this. Exactly. And so I was like, all right, it's Wednesday. I'm going to have this on Friday where people don't have webinars and I'm going to start, <laughs> I'm going to start marketing on Wednesday. I'll make this little post. That'll be my marketing effort. And the post went viral. I was so annoyed. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want you it to work. stumble into viral. Okay. Yes. And so it like over a thousand people from all over the world showed up. And so my friends were saying, well, Kwame, how are you going to avoid burnout again? Because you've been in this world before. How do you avoid it? And I said, I'm going to be very, very clear on what I will do and what I won't do. I'm not going to tell people what they should think about race. I'm mm -hmm. going to teach them how to talk about race. I'm going to stay very narrowly focused on my zone of genius. And so I told people, I'll do a quick presentation and then I'll stay with you as long as you need with and answer any question you have. And so I did my presentation, took like 40 minutes and then like three and a half hours later, we finished. No. Wow. And then a literary agent reached out and was like, there's your second book. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. But, but for me, like, I want to be where the hardest conversations are. And in 2020, this is clearly where the hardest conversation was. And so I want to provide that resource. And if it means like me sacrificing a little bit of comfort for the sake of the audience that needs this information, then mm -hmm. I'm going to do it. You know, so it's, it's different from the first book because the first book, I always knew I was going to write that book. I knew I was going to do something like that. This one I didn't see coming, but I want to be able to prov provide that resource and really like I just finished the the audio book. We, it'll probably be done in like a month or so. It'll be an and, audible. Oh yes, okay. yeah, yep, yep, absolutely. And so um, the the sound engineer who was with me, he's like, "This is, this book is really good because it's yes, it's about race, but you could read this book and apply it to any difficult conversation mm -hmm. about any topic." And that's my thing. If you can handle yourself in a difficult conversation about this topic, you can handle yourself in any type of difficult conversation. Right. So a lot of people would push this into the DEI type of world. And yes, if you are in diversity, equity, and inclusion, clear value, clear value, right? But I'm a negotiation expert. This is a negotiation book. And it'll teach you how to negotiate some of the most sensitive conversations you could ever have. So I'm really, really excited about it. I love that. When I was skimming through the book, I came across this page and I couldn't find it. And I was like, wait, where is it? And then I just found it. But what I love that you highlighted in here is how to be an ally. 
because I think even as it related to like what was happening around that time period you described, so many people were like, well, how do I help? Like, how do I help drive this message? How do I host or support people in my company who are obviously really frustrated or just in their communities? And I think oftentimes we just assume we know how to support other people or it's just like a natural you know, like, oh, why are they? But we don't always know how to be a support person. And so you talked a little bit about or just provided just some steps as it relates to how to be, create that support system and how do you create allyship and whether that's like personal or professional, I think that is also like a key component um, as kind of like, because you can have all the intention in the world, right? Like I can be the best negotiator. I can be the best mom, whatever hat it is. But then like, everybody needs that support group of individuals to kind of either call us out when we're not, you know, hitting our fullest potential, whether that's a coach or that's a, you know, a family member or a spouse. But I think like in the corporate business settings, I think there's a, a challenge with figuring out, okay, how much do I get involved? How do I support in a way that it doesn't become too draining for me? Because I'm gonna be honest, I'm very like, I want to help people, but I'm also very reserved with my energy, my space, my time, because I am very clear about what I want to spend my time and energy on. And I feel like it took me a long time to get there. But now that I'm here, I'm like, uh, can I help? Can I like effectively help? Because I also don't ever. So I think as like I, I would love to kind of get your thoughts, because I think it's also we can have intentions to want to help people, but we don't really think about how effective we can be based on our capacity. And so I love that you made this and I haven't read it yet. I just kind of was looking through it earlier and I was like, how to be an ally. And so can you talk a little bit to kind of what what this piece of this process really means to you and, and how do listeners or even people who will read this book can take this and apply it into their everyday life? Yeah. And what you'll see is like in that section of the book and with everything that I do, I want it to be like skills based, mm -hmm. right? Because a lot of times we might base it on our own sense of morality or political correctness and things like that. Yeah. And morals and political correctness, they shift depending on the person, depending on the times and things like that. So it's really hard to pinpoint what I should actually do. Right. right. But if we turn it into a skills based question, oh, I know what to do. I have a goal. I set a strategy for that goal and then I achieve it. Right. And I, it makes it quantifiable. Did I achieve it or not? Right. <laughs> and so when I think about allyship, again, we can think about it in this context of diversity, equity and inclusion or just like what it means to be a good friend in that situation, too, just in general. So the key element of a good ally is humility. Because a lot of times as allies, when we're trying to step up, we're really doing it to make ourselves feel good. Mm -hmm. And it's not that we don't care about the person that we're trying to ally ourselves with, but it's that we are doing it more to satisfy our own emotional needs for validation in that moment. And so an ally first needs to be humble enough to slow down and recognize that it's not about you, mm -hmm. it's about the other person. So here's an example that recently happened. So I was talking to one of my, my colleagues and she's part of the LGBTQ community. And so she says, when she's out with her partner, like there, there are times where people would say really offensive things, like just yell out the F word at them too, like the, you know, the, the slur. Okay. And um, I, I felt in just in her relaying that story, I started to feel emotional. And I was like, if, if I were in that situation, I don't know, like if how I would respond, like if I could control myself. And she said something really interesting. She's like, in that situation, what I would want you to do is ask me what I should do. 
what you should do, right? Because if you just go and throw down, now I have to fight. And maybe I don't want to fight today, right, <laughs> you right, know? True. And so the first step is humility and recognizing that you have to ask and see how you could be of value mm. in that situation. And so then you have to be humble enough to accept what that other person says. And I think that humility is a big part of it. But again, if you think about it as a skill, ask questions, listen, those type of things, it really simplifies what it means to be an ally in that specific context. Yeah, that's awesome. And giving people like time, because I think for what I see in some conversations, like when you become an ally, you have to let people say like you say what they say to you, not take it offensively, right? Because I know some, let's say Caucasian or white people want to help and be allies and sometimes people are not ready for that or for them to be an ally. And when they're told like, I don't want your help right now or no, you're like, I'll let you know. Like some people take offense to that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's finding the grace of being like, okay, they're not ready right now. Is that against me as a person? It's just, they're not ready and giving them the time, yeah. right? Oh, this is good. Because again, look, let's look at this as a skill. So let's break it down using compassionate curiosity, right? So you can have the person who, you, the conversation with the person who wants to be an ally, you're not ready for that. So you could use that as an opportunity to use the framework to set a boundary. So I could say, Mylene, I really appreciate your, your support and your eagerness because I can tell that this is something that's important to you. And I really appreciate the fact that you care about me and this situation enough to really step up. It, it seems like this is really something that's close to you. And then they say, yeah, absolutely. This is really important. So you let them get it out of your system. You summarize, you listen. Okay, now the, th the problem is, important thing, when you're transitioning, making a transitional phrase, if you say but, it, they call it the great eraser. It erases everything <laughs> that you said before. The problem is right now, I, I am very exhausted. I know this is important, but right now I just can't do it. I, I'm, I'm very burnt out, right? And so that's an example of using the framework. Now, the person in, on the other side, if they get offended, this is an opportunity for them to use internally directed compassionate curiosity. I have an emotional state. I would prefer not to stay in that <laughs> emotional state. Well, let's use this as an introspective process. So what am I feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling a little, and this is in their own head. So what am I feeling? I'm feeling offended because I tried to step up and have a conversation and, and you know, be an ally. And, and Mylene always talks about DEI. And now I have an opportunity and she shuts me down. I'm offended. Is it something about me? Okay, well, what else are you friend uh, feeling? Because most of the time it's multiple things, right? Yeah, and this makes me angry. That's why I'm angry because I'm offended. And then what else are you feeling? I'm a little bit confused because I thought this was what I was supposed to do. And then I did it and it didn't work. I'm confused. Anything else you're feeling? No. Okay, let's sequence to number two. Well, why are you feeling this way? Let's dig deeper. Well, because I want to step up and I feel guilty that I haven't stepped up in the past. And now I have an opportunity to step up and I don't get that shot and I feel bad. And I still wanna do something, but now I don't know what to do, right? Okay, good, so what do you think you should do in this situation, getting, getting to joint problem solving? All right, well, maybe I should have a conversation with Mylene about how I can be an ally in this situation or ask for suggestions, all right. Good. And so that's an, something that could satisfy their emotional needs, but also substantively address the fact that they still want to be an ally. They don't know how. Right. So mm -hmm. they can use that as a way to get control of their own emotions before continuing to engage in a conversation with you. That's powerful. Like I have conversations with myself, not like that, but I feel like I should start. <laughs> 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 wow. Well, Kwame, thank you so much for being here today. I feel like there's so much um, so much need for the work that you've decided to do, both like professionally, personally. 
Um, I'm excited to be able to dive deep into this new book um, because I think it's a, like you said, there's a lot of framework here that I think could apply to so many different things that are happening every single day. And I think it's just amazing to have people who really lean into their gifts and their talents. And that's what I know we collectively feel you have done. Um, and so how can people like connect with you? Like, I think it's like, you want to tell them your podcast name, the IG, because I feel like people are going to be like, what was the book called again? And so really quick before we, we end for today, if you can give us like, give our listeners all of the kind of how to find you, how to connect, how to lean into all of the stuff you have going on. Yes. Well, thanks again for having me on. Really appreciate it. Good to see you all in person. Um, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm always posting. I try to post something every single day on LinkedIn. Um, if you're interested in a training or in the DEI space or a negotiation conflict resolution leadership, check out AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com. And then we have two podcasts. Well, no, we have three podcasts. Oh my so we have Negotiate Anything. And then we have Negotiate Real Change, which is for people who want to use these negotiation skills to create positive change in their workplace and their communities. And then you would appreciate this. We have a Spanish podcast now called oh. Negociación Desde Cero. Okay, so oh, mommy, there goes yeah. your Spanish class in college. <laughs> Exactly. It, it is not me hosting. As confident as I am speaking in English, I get very shy speaking in Spanish. So we have uh, Simone Perez handling that podcast. It's oh, really that's great. Awesome. I got to check that cool. out. Yeah. I'm going to do that. Thank yes. you. Thank you. I love this. I love this for our young girls, too. I think, you know, we work with Femergy with young girls and women. And I think that is something we definitely want to reach out back with you to talk about. That could be a great workshop for our young people. We had a woman from your institute years ago come and teach for EIW. She did. She did, she did a great job, too. It was a That's great awesome. workshop. It was a great workshop. So we'll be working on that in the future. Great. Stay tuned. Yes. yes. So as always, we have a mantra that we end with. It's, it's bigger, bigger than, than you. you. Thank you so much for listening today. We're excited and we hope that you follow us on Instagram, True Print for Life, a YouTube channel, also True Print for Life. And make sure that you share, 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 like, watch our videos. Make sure that you follow us on all streaming platforms.